Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In Nevada, three recall efforts will determine the control of the Nevada State Senate long before the 2018 midterm election. Shareholder Alyssa Nave Worth from the firm's Nevada State Government Relations Practice and Senior Policy Advisor Sarah Clark from the Colorado State Government Relations Practice discuss the recall effort in Nevada and provide perspective from the 2013 recall effort in Colorado. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Brownstein Government Relations Podcast Series. My name is Sarah Clark. I'm a senior policy advisor with our Colorado Government Relations team, and I'm here with Alyssa Naveworth, one of our shareholders in our Nevada Government State Relations team, and we're here to talk about recall efforts at the state level. You may be aware and remember a very high-profile recall effort in Wisconsin of Governor Scott Walker in the wake of some teacher unions issues. And uh, we, most recently in Colorado, had a recall of two state senators back in 2013. And we are now aware of a recall effort happening in Nevada. And so I have brought Alyssa in to talk to us about that. Hey, Alyssa. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good. All right. Well, um, following a contentious 2017 Nevada legislative session, three recall petitions were filed this past summer challenging three Democratic state senators, Senator Joyce Woodhouse, Senator Nicole Cannizzaro, and Senator Patricia Farley. Farley, in fact, was elected as a Republican and has left the Republican caucus, changed to an independent, but caucuses with the Democratic caucus. And so her defection from the Republican Senate grew the Democratic numbers in the state Senate um, to a 12-9 margin. And it was widely believed that in the next election, in the 2018 election, that numerically uh, the Republicans did not have a chance of flipping the Senate. And so what they have chosen to do is access um, a, a largely unknown recall statute here in Nevada to recall these uh, three state senators. And if they are successful, they will change the balance of control in the Senate to the Republicans, which will obviously drive the 2019 legislative agenda, but then also will set them up to remain in control for the 2021 redistricting session, which is where both parties are focused. You know, Alyssa, we saw a similar political outcome here in Colorado back in 2013 uh, when the Republican effort to take back control of the Colorado State House, specifically the state Senate, uh, was sort of in full swing in 2013. And there was doubts that that could be achieved in the 2014 election. There was uh, some contentious gun legislation that was passed in 2013 in the wake of the Aurora theater shootings that really opened the door for the Republicans to seek out uh, a recall of four senators in particular in Colorado, and then two of those senators, uh, the Republicans were were unsuccessful in getting the required number of signatures to bring that recall election against them. But for the other two who they were successful with, they did unseat them and replace them with Republicans, you know, sort of recognizing and acknowledging from sort of the Colorado experience that the gun legislation was really what opened the door. Has there been some um, sort of issue that has sort of uh, sort of laid this path for the Republicans in Nevada? 
Uh, to be honest, uh, the background of this is, has much more to do with the politics of the control of the Senate and um, the horizon of redistricting. Uh, the actual recall efforts themselves focus on votes on taxes, and, and at the doors, there's a conversation regarding sanctuary cities here in Nevada, which is a largely divisive issue uh, of which we had um, a potential legislation this last session. Can you explain to me, was the state Senate uh, recall in Colorado the first time that that's that have been used or, or have the precedent been set, a door opened prior to the state Senate recall? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like so many other states, you know, we see recall elections at the local level quite a lot. Uh, you know, we'd have, you know, uh, city council people, mayors, school board members. There had been a precedent in Colorado for recall at that level of office, but Colorado had never seen a state legislator recalled before 2013. And the power uh, for citizens to recall members of local and state government had been around for about 100 years, in fact. Is that the same in, in Nevada? So the ability to recall in Nevada has been in statute for quite some time, but the last time that a legislative member was successfully recalled was 1993. In the meantime, there had been um, some efforts to recall uh, city councilmen, et cetera, et cetera, which had been unsuccessful. However, this is the first uh, full-born attempt to use the recall statute in over 20 years, and many people are watching this nationally because they believe that this is the new playbook for um, legislative races, and it's a new tool that both sides will look to use as they um, seek to retain control of the legislature. You know, it's so interesting because um, we have seen this, uh, you know, recall elections at the state level used, you know, as part of a political playbook. You know, we've seen it in California, certainly in Wisconsin, um, with a lot of mixed success. You know, sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not. But I, I think it may be safe to say that this process, at least in each individual state, is used thus far has been used thus far so rarely that a lot of times the actors don't really know what to do when they're faced with this kind of a challenge. In Colorado, at least, the two senators, John Morrison, Angela Harone, who were facing a recall election, they ended up fighting two pretty lengthy court challenges. I mean, there were challenges that were um, set forth at both the Secretary of State's level, challenging the signatures that were collected. And then there were um, allegations of um, voter suppression, and there was a district court challenge. Um, are you seeing that in Nevada, too? I, I just sort of harken back to how much confusion there really was about the process in Colorado. Well, I mean, as it, it's been, you know, over 20 years since a successful recall has actually occurred in Nevada, um, uh, much of the press and the, the larger conversation regarding recall has focused on exactly what it means and how it goes. I think that this has been a crash course in recall efforts for uh, both sides. Um, I certainly know that um, there are lots of unknowns that are throughout the system. So, for example, you know, there are three separate state senators that are subject to potential recall, uh, the first of whom is State Senator Joyce Woodhouse, the current chair of Senate Finance. And uh, her signatures are much farther along. She's farther along in the process. Uh, the, you know, on October 30th, they turned in the signatures. They've been preliminarily verified by the Secretary of State, but there, you know, is currently a, a massive 
effort on behalf of Democrats to remove signatures um, now that the signatures are known and um, that the individuals are known who signed the recall. There have been allegations from both sides of, you know, misconduct in terms of both gathering signatures and removing signatures. And in addition, there are a number of legal challenges. There is a challenge in federal court alleging um, voter rights um, abuses, um, and there's a, a mirrored one that was just filed on Monday here in state court um, regarding the same thing. Uh, and part of the process, which is so interesting, is because this is a largely unknown territory, this is the Secretary of State's office, the county clerk that, that really isn't you know, adept in the statute because it hasn't been used, that um, a lot of this will be decided in the courts um, if there is enough and a significant enough challenge on the verification of the signatures ultimately by the Democrats. And, you know, I think about the citizens, um, sort of their role in this. I mean, they kind of have a twofold role. One is certainly the requirement to collect citizen and voter signatures to get the election, the recall election on the ballot in the first place. But, you know, in Colorado, we ended up having a legal question and challenge on what voters actually saw when they got their ballots. So the recall was broken up into two questions. One, should this particular senator be recalled? Yes or no. And then two, if recalled, who should replace them with the candidates below that? And there was uh, a question before the Colorado Supreme Court about whether or not a voter had to vote in that first question in order for the second vote to count. And the court said no. The court said they could abstain from voting in the recall, but still choose um, the votes for who the candidate to replace the recalled senator would be would still count. Um, That was a really interesting, um, I think, uh, exercise in sort of of, of, um, voter accountability, voter action, sort of the freedom of voters to choose to vote in one part of an election and not another and still have their votes counted. Yeah, that that is fascinating, um, and that has yet to be decided here in Nevada. I mean, we'll have to see that. You know, we're we're in the very infancy of all these um, recall efforts. Actually, uh, today is the deadline for uh, the second district to come in in terms of signatures. So, you know, we have a lot to watch, um, and also it's it's three unique situations, three unique state senate districts. So it's not a one size fit all answer on how um, this will turn out in in the three different districts. And I think that leads into sort of the, the sort of next area of interest, which is that, you know, so often in these recall elections, this certainly happened in Colorado in 2013, the focus really was on the process, the timeline, what it looked like to actually recall these state senators. And really, it was almost an afterthought of who was put on the ballot. Um, have the Republicans in Nevada really thought through who their candidates would be? And, you know, I say that with sort of an, sort of an interesting kind of storyline, which is that the two Republicans who were chosen to replace the Democratic senators who were recalled ended up being defeated pretty handily in the 2014 election by Democratic opponents. So the ground that the Republicans gained through the recall effort, they ended up losing in 2014 in the general election. Now, it did, I think, allow them to um, have some talking points, which allowed them to flip the Senate um, in in an unrelated race up in Adams County um, and gain some control there. But uh, really, you know, like I said, you know, they sort of gained this ground and then they lost it. What are the Republicans looking at in terms of candidates to replace these recalled senators if they're successful? So uh, all three, uh, in all three districts, the, the candidates have been already identified, um, only one of whom was actually on a ballot before. So in Senate District 5, which is uh, currently occupied by State Senator Joyce Woodhouse, the potential opponent and replacement is Carrie Buck, uh, a local principal who was actually her opponent in the uh, 2016 election. Um, and so in that district, the voters have, you know, a somewhat knowledgeable base of, of 
who the alternative is to the state senator. Um, in the other two districts, uh, it's largely unknown individuals. Um, and so it'll be interesting as they go into the election cycle, you know, how defined those individuals are. Also, you know, just like any situation when you use one individual to take out a, a sitting legislator that you, you may disagree with, uh, that person then becomes a legislator and they have the full ability to make decisions and no matter how they choose, right? Um, they're not just a, a generic Democrat or a generic Republican. And so it'll be fascinating that if, there, if any one of these is successful, how that person will fare in the interim session um, that's going over the next year and then in, in the 2019 uh, election. Plus, the other thing is, is that should the Republicans be able to control the legislature and go into redistricting, uh, they, there is a potential that they can redistrict. But it really also depends on who the governor is at that time. Um, so if it uh, goes to a stalemate, as it did in the last redistricting um, that went through in Nevada, it will go to the courts and it will go as before on a nonpartisan redistricting situation where the question of the value of this recall will will has yet to be defined, right? Um, if they can't fully control both the state house and the Senate, um, then there won't be the leverage um, that they need in redistricting. And then those districts will go back probably to Democrats because they're inherently um, marginal districts uh, that have a slight Democratic advantage and a large number of independents. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about kind of how that le- how sort of that power gets leveraged. Um, the aftermath of the recall elections here is that the one of the other two state senators who were um, targeted for recall, uh, who there were not enough uh, signatures that were gathered, there was another effort later in 2013, just about two months later, and um, because the process was just so unwieldy and so uncertain, she ended up stepping down from her seat so that the Democrats could appoint somebody uh, to refill that vacancy rather than go through another recall election, which I think did give Republicans at least some wind in their sails for those 2014 elections and the opportunity to, to flip the, the Senate here. Are there any other tools uh, that, you, that we haven't gone over um, in the toolbox for the um, opponents of the recall election that, that you know might be unique to Nevada that they might be using? Well, you know, I, I think they fall into two broad categories, right, which is, one, um, a legal challenge, which you could either go through both the, the federal court or the state court level, um, and then, two, the ground game, um, which um, is all about uh, removing signatures, and that really, that there are two windows for that. The first is um, an interesting, you know, what, in the 90 days when there's been a notice of recall and the petition signatures are being gathered, the opponents are in the field gathering the opposite, right, which is, no, remove me from, or I never meant to sign um, the recall offer. But that's, you know, looking for a needle in a haystack. It's You have to go after every voter uh, that is registered and voted in the 2016 election in that district. Um, and it's really largely unknown who's going to remove, uh, who's going to have signed the petition and then, then be able to remove the petition. I mean, the, obviously, you would be going for um, those that lean towards the proponents of the recall. So uh, Republicans and independents, that would be the target. Uh, Democrats aren't likely to sign that, but you never know. Um, so there's some success that the Democrats have had in the first district of removing those, but it's a much harder uh, lift. 
the, the second opportunity they have to remove uh, the signatures is in this very narrow window when signatures are being verified. They have a period of time where they know exactly who in that district signed the petition, and they can go after those voters, and, and that's what they, they're doing now. It's a large, um, massive, highly concentrated field effort um, to go after those voters in the first district that came up, so Senate District 5, and then that will the same thing will be mirrored in Senate District 6 and Senate District 8 as they evolve over the next um, several weeks. Has the date for the special election been set? Uh, the date won't be set until it's finally determined that they have an appropriate number of valid signatures. And that is that is where the gray area is right now, which is, um, are, are they valid? What is the, the correct number? Uh, you know, and because it's a, such an unknown process, I think that there's a lot of questions on both sides about how when that will finally be done. Um, if the proponents are successful in Senate District 5 against Senator Woodhouse in um, securing the number of valid signatures, uh, the election could be in... Um, mid-December, right before the Christmas holiday, uh, if they seek to consolidate and have one election day across all three districts, then it's likely to be mid-January. Well, we will stay tuned. Uh, thanks so much, Alyssa, for sharing all your knowledge. Um, and I did want to make a put, uh, put in a plug for uh, this really great graphic that you know I know you and your team out in Nevada pulled together that shows the recall process. And I know that that's available um, you know on our website. Certainly, uh, link to it through your bio. We will be watching. Thanks so much, Sarah. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.